Football podcast. I'm your host, Drew Rosenjuck, and you can follow me on Twitter at DF Beancounter. So the Patreon has been stirred up over to Mari Cooper pretty much all offseason. We've had several debates with a very intense one happening very frequently, or very recently, pardon me. So I went to Twitter and I tweeted, Amari Cooper's 2021 points per game fantasy finish among wide receivers will be. This was a poll. Assuming Dak Prescott is healthy, of course. 14.7% of the people said he would be a top five wide receiver in 2021. I'm here to tell you that 14.7% of people are dead wrong. There is zero chance that happens. 34.5% said he'd be a wide receiver one. And if those people are voting for wide receiver 12 overall, he's got a chance. If they're voting for anything more than that, no way. Wide receiver two, 48.4% of the population said, yes, that's where he'll be. And 2.4% said wide receiver three, which I mean, that's probably about right. There's a slight chance he could be wide receiver three, but it's pretty unlikely. It's amazing to me that 50% of the people believe that Amari Cooper will be a wide receiver one when he has never in his career put up those kind of numbers. So let's talk about why 50% of the population is wrong. (laughs) So Amari Cooper and the first four weeks last year, This is why people are all about the Amari right now. In the first four weeks of 2020, Amari Cooper led the NFL with 21.3 points per game. Number one at the wide receiver position. It's pretty good. Not going to lie. He had a nice stretch. He absolutely had a nice stretch. Over that stretch, Amari Cooper averaged 12.75 targets per game. 12.75 targets times 16 games is 204 targets on the season. The NFL record? Marvin Harrison in 2000 or in 2004 with 205 targets. Amari Cooper was on pace to match the NFL record. He was on a record-setting pace. Dak Prescott played the first four games. Obviously, he got hurt in the fifth game. He played 67% of the fifth game. In those first four games, though, he had a 50.25 attempts per game average. Over 16 games, that's 804 attempts. The NFL record, 727 attempts. Dak Prescott was set to break the NFL record by 77 attempts. That is crazy. Second place, 691 attempts in the NFL record books. Dak Prescott would have beaten the second highest passing volume season in NFL history by 100 attempts at that rate. To say that they were on an unsustainable pace is an understatement. (laughs) A complete understatement. To be fair though, Dallas did finish second in pass attempts on the season with 39.9 attempts. They were a high volume team. That's a 638 attempt pace. That would be very good. So should we expect something close to that toward pace again in 2021? I don't think so. The reason I don't think so is because that's not what they wanted to do. Teams reveal to us their intention by when we look at their early down pass frequency, when you control for, you know, two minute drill, you control for uh, like blowout games. When we're talking about like close or like close ish win probability games, when we control for that. And we only look at early down pass frequency. Dallas was 14th in the NFL in that Dak Prescott section of the season, in that tiny little four-game stretch where they were breaking records, basically, they were still only intending to pass for the 14th highest rate in the NFL. Like, that's pretty wild. After that, they passed at the 18th highest rate in the NFL. They basically didn't change their philosophy whether Dak Prescott was under center or Andy Dalton. That's kind of telling. Last year, the Dallas Cowboys finished 6-10. and 10. That's why they had so many 
pass attempts. When you are trying to come from behind, you need to pass the football. That's what the Dallas Cowboys did. They also had a terrible defense. They gave up the fifth most points in the NFL. 29.6 points per game against. The offense had to pass the ball to keep up. In those first four games where Dak Prescott and Murray Cooper were setting records, 36.5 points per game against. Easily the worst in the NFL on that stretch. Defensive efficiency is not sticky this is not something that we would bet on dallas having a league worst defense again they'll probably regress to the mean this isn't like offense where you can somewhat predict efficiency in an offense defensively it's basically a crapshoot so what does all this mean what this means is you don't do projections you do or you do projections you do not extrapolate do not extrapolate a four game record setting sample a four game record smashing sample pardon me do not do that do the projections, start from the top, how big is the pie, what is the player's piece of the pie. So the Dallas Cowboys' intent, like I said, was to be a mid-tier passing team. A mid-tier passing team, middle of the pack, 16th in pass attempts, 35.6 attempts per game, that would be 570 attempts. If they were a little above average, say they still have a bad defense, but they're winning some games, or they're not winning games but their defense is better, I took the, I believe it was the 8th highest rate, that was 37.9 attempts, times 16 is 606 attempts for the season. If they suck again, and their defense is still atrocious, and they pass at a league best rate like they did last year. We are talking about 638 attempts, not 804 like the friggin' Dak Prescott sample size was in the first four games. USA Today had an article on April 16th. It was on win totals, projected win totals, and the Cowboys over-under was set at 9. This is not a team that should be at 6-10. and 10. This should be an above 500 NFL team. You cannot, or you should not, project the Cowboys to lead the league in pass attempts. It was not their intention. They did it because they had to. So then we talk about Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper's target share, year over year over year over year over year, is one of the most remarkably consistent target shares I can recall seeing. Here is his target share starting in 2015 through 2020. 21.6%, 22.3%, 20%, 20%, 20.7%, 21.1%. His career average is 21%. His last three years since he joined Dallas... 20.6%. This is a player that is locked into his role in the offense. It ain't changing. So if you're thinking that he's going to get a whole bunch more targets this year, he isn't. I'm sorry, he just isn't. So if you take that 20.6% three-year average, his Dallas target share average, 20.6% times those three numbers we talked about earlier for total attempts. So we have 570, 606, and 638 total attempts. That's league average, above average, top of the league. We're looking at 117 to 131 targets for Amari Cooper. This is not top five upside. This is nowhere near top upside. And one of these projections includes highest pass attempts in the league, the highest volume. And we are still not talking about top five upside from a volume perspective. So stop it. Stop thinking that Amari Cooper is this guy that's going to just crush the NFL this year. Now that Dak Prescott's back, that's not going to happen. He's probably not even going to be a wide receiver one. He's very likely not going to be a wide receiver one. He might squeak into the wide receiver 12 chair. He might. There's a chance. I wouldn't bet on it, but there's a chance. His total targets, 117, 125, 131. His yards per target over his career have been 8.7 yards per target. That's 1,022 yards. That's 1,086 yards. That's 1,143 yards based on those total targets, based on his share and whether and how pass happy the Dallas Cowboys are this year. His Dallas tar- yards per target, though, is a little higher. It's 9.3. 
So if we use that instead, we get to 1,092, 1,161, 1,222. That ain't great. On a yards per game perspective, in 2018, he'd have been at, at the low range. This is the low end. 2018, wide receiver 23. 2019, wide receiver 22. 2020, wide receiver 19. These are not great numbers. These are back-end wide receiver 2 numbers. If they get to the moderate level, we're talking about wide receiver 16, 17, 15. We're talking about mid-range wide receiver 1 or wide receiver two, pardon me. If they are the league leader in pass attempts yet again, we are talking about wide receiver 15. That's not a wide receiver one. Wide receiver nine, he squeaks in and wide receiver 14. Those projections are slotting in his yardage over 2018, 2019, 2020. So if he's going to be a wide receiver one, they need to lead the league in passing and he needs to outperform on the touchdown department by a significant margin. That's the only way he gets there. That's what you're clinging to. And this isn't out of the ordinary for Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper's points per game finish year over year over year, starting in 2015, all the way through 2020, this is points per game. So we are, we're, we're not missing anything based on an injury or two. So in 2015, wide receiver 30, then wide receiver 21, then wide receiver 37, then 22, then 14, then 22. Amari Cooper is a wide receiver two in fantasy football. Don't kid yourself. The 50% that think he could get to wide receiver one are not looking at things through a clear lens. They are not doing projections. They are extrapolating small samples, which is extremely dangerous in the fantasy football world. So if you are, if your intention with rostering Amari Cooper in either redraft or dynasty is to get a wide receiver two, you're probably going to be happy. That's what he's going to provide for you. But if you think you're getting wide receiver one upside or heaven forbid, you are foolish enough to think you're getting top five wide receiver upside. Over the, by, you know, extrapolating that ridiculous four-game sample, you are going to be wildly disappointed yet again. That's the name of the show, Amari Cooper. <laughs> wildly disappointing. We are now going to talk about C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper's running mate in the Dallas Cowboys offense. C.D. Lamb is a fantastic prospect. I just want to start by saying that because this is not going to be the result of the conversation we are about to have is maybe not going to paint CeeDee Lamb in quite the light that you're hoping. And it's not because CeeDee Lamb's a bad player. He's actually a really good player. I really like CeeDee Lamb. He's one of the best wide receivers in last year's class. So let's talk a little bit about his prospect profile before we get into why I think that you probably should be selling CeeDee Lamb. And we'll start with the basics. First of all, he was a 21-year-old rookie. That's what we're looking for. He declared early for the NFL draft. Again, that's what we're looking for. We want serial winners, guys that show up in college at age 18, age 19, age 20. They're so good. The NFL says, come on out. We're going to draft you. And then they do. And then they get drafted early. He was a first round pick, 1.17 to the Dallas Cowboys. His breakout age in college, serial winner. Yes, 19.4 breakout age at Oklahoma. He played with some pretty high quality players at Oklahoma. There was a first round pick named Hollywood Brown. There is a top five dynasty tight end named Mark Andrews that played there at the same time as CeeDee Lamb. He played with good players and he found a way to produce because that's what good players do. That being said, the one flaw on the CeeDee Lamb profile, he, he was just short of like a perfect prospect, right? Like he was 6'2", 198 pounds, which exceeds both of my height and weight limits, but together his like proportions weren't quite alpha-sized. I'm looking for a 26.0 BMI, and Seating Lamb's BMI was only 25.4, so it was a little lower than I would have liked. But that's a pretty minor detail. When we look at bulletproof wide receivers, there's no difference in wide receiver 24 hit rates. Where we see the difference is in the perennial wide receiver one hit rates, the, be the betas just don't quite get there. 
So CeeDee Lamb probably, well, he well he already hit a wide receiver 24 season. So he is definitely a hit. I just don't know that we're going to get that elite wide receiver one year over year over year type ceiling from CeeDee Lamb, but let's carry on. His production, market share receiving yards by age. He fell a little short at 18. He smashed at 19. Well, he, he hit at 19, he hit at 20. And then in yards per team pass attempt by age, age adjusted yards per team pass attempt. He hit at 18, he hit at 19, he hit at 20. He's a very efficient player or he played an efficient offense at the very least. Uh, and he, you know, he had a pretty sizable chunk of the offense. So those things are good. He qualified as bulletproof. He is a bulletproof beta, but he's right on the fringe of that beta tier. Like he, he could easily be an alpha. He's, he's just right there. He's right there. So anyways, after his rookie year, right? Like, or after he gets drafted, he goes out and plays his rookie year. He puts up 13.10 points per game. His PFF receiving grade is 72.6. He was a beta. And his prospect profile said that he was bulletproof. So when I run him through my sophomore comp list, I want to read these names to you. And then you can pick up your jaw when we're done and we'll carry on. We have AJ Green, Des Bryant, Allen Robinson, Jarvis Landry, Brandon Cooks, Jeremy Macklin, Hakeem Nix, Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree, Calvin Ridley, Juju Smith-Schuster, Sammy Watkins, Torrey Smith, and Jordan Matthews. Every single player on this list hit a top 24 season and only three of them did not hit top 12. I think it's strongly, I think it's very likely that CeeDee Lamb hits a top 12 season at some point in his NFL career. I don't know that he's going to hit a whole bunch of them though. That's that's where a little bit of hesitation comes from. But the biggest concern for me right now with CeeDee Lamb's profile is that he had an 84.7% slot snap rate, which is just a little bit too high for my liking. Basically, he was exclusively a slot receiver. And the last time that we saw a high profile bulletproof wide receiver come into the NFL, play exclusively out of the slot, have early production, early high performance, was Juju Smith-Schuster. He never got out of the slot and that has hampered his ceiling. And I just, I don't know. It's not that he, it's not that we don't think CeeDee Lamb can play outside. It's that we don't know yet. And that's an unknown. And he's got to get outside if he's going to have one of those, you know, high impact careers in the fantasy football world. And then his target share last year was 17.7%, which isn't bad. That's that's perfectly fine for a rookie wide receiver. But what are we going to project him for this year? We just talked about how Amari Cooper is probably going to be the 20% range. Are we really thinking CeeDee Lamb is going to be more heavily targeted than Amari Cooper? I don't think that's accurate. I think they're probably both going to be in that low 20% range of targets. And that's just not enough to get into the wide receiver one conversation. So his value, and my issue with CeeDee Lamb is entirely his ADP. It has nothing to do with the prospect profile, has nothing to do with the player i think he's great i just don't think he has the projection to hold up to his adp and dynasty league football april adp he is going off the board at the wide receiver six that's way too high for me in my dynasty rankings on patreon patreon.com forward slash bulletproof ff i have cd lamb ranked at wide receiver 17 or i will once i post my april rankings they're not out yet they're coming right before the draft that's where i have a slaughter right now might change a little bit by the time we get to actually posting them we'll have to wait and see but here i have how do i put this in my rankings you'll see this if you're on the youtube channel but if you're not i'm going to read it to you because this is a podcast and you need to hear it so i put a current thoughts on all the players i don't do a new one every time that i do the rankings but if somebody moves or something like that then then i'll change the current thoughts or if there's just new things that i need to talk about in the rankings so the current thoughts for cd lamb back to that is a ton of people are looking at cd splits with and without dak and crowning him the greatest wide receiver of all time. These splits fail to take into account the absurd pass volume the Cowboys had in those games. They would have smashed the all-time record for pass volume if that had kept up. 
That was propelling CeeDee Lamb more so than his own strong play. He is a solid bet for a wide receiver two, or he is a solid bet for wide receiver two numbers, but wide receiver one numbers are likely out of reach unless he takes a giant leap forward. I am also concerned about him in a similar fashion to Juju after his huge sophomore season. CD was almost exclusively a slot receiver this year. How well can he perform on the outside if they change his role? We don't know. He could be fantastic or he could be terrible. We just don't know yet. And that uncertainty gives me pause. I'm not, and then that's the end of it. But to elaborate a little bit more, I'm actually not digging CD Lamb for his slot role. I think he's going to transition outside and he's going to be fine. I really believe that. But in 2020 or 2021, I have his expected finish from a projection standpoint to be in the wide receiver two range. I have his high. Like if he hits his ceiling this year, he'll still only be a wide receiver two. And honestly, I think his low end is also wide receiver two. I have a hard time envisioning him not being a wide receiver two. So basically the ceiling isn't there. That's what the issue is. Here are Dynasty League Football suggested players, according to their trade analyzer, that you can trade CeeDee Lamb for in uh, Dynasty Leagues. This is Superflex League. So we have Jalen Hurts, DeAndre Hopkins, Stefan Diggs, Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, Nick Chubb, Aaron Rodgers, and Cam Akers. Some of those like higher-end guys like Nick Chubb, Aaron Rodgers, Cam Akers, they're suggesting you add a little bit to CeeDee Lamb to get there, but not a lot. And, and I got to tell you, there's a lot of guys on this list that I have ranked higher than CeeDee Lamb. I have DeAndre Hopkins ranked higher. I have Stefan Diggs ranked higher. And I actually think I'm going to move up Stefan Diggs the rankings i have justin fields ranked much higher i have jk dobbins ranked higher i have nick chubb ranked higher i don't have overall rankings but these are guys that i would prefer if they're at a different position and i would definitely prefer to go and get cam Akers if i can add to cd lamb to get a cam Akers on my squad i would do it in a heartbeat cam Akers is somebody you absolutely have to buy did a video on him a I don't know, about two, three weeks ago now. Go and watch it if you haven't yet because Cam Akers offers upside that is basically unheard of. Not unheard of. He offers top five upside at the running back position, which is substantially more value valuable than top five upside at the wide receiver position. So their pick range... So if you're just equating CeeDee Lamb to draft picks in Superflex leagues, they are suggesting anywhere between 102 and 104. I think that's fair. If you could get 103 in a Superflex league for CeeDee Lamb, I would do it because you could probably take Jamar Chase. And if you watch the Jamar Chase video, you know that it doesn't matter where he lands. He is the alpha that eats first as soon as 2022. And he's going to be a perennial wide receiver one. And you need Jamar Chase on your squad. So if you can get Jamar Chase for CeeDee Lamb, you should do that. And or you can take Justin Fields probably at 103. We'll see. Now, here is the trade finder from Dynasty League Football. I just want you to be aware of the value that you have in CD Lamb because I think that it is prudent to be moving him based on his value. That's why we're focusing on value so much right now. So here are a couple of actual real-life trades that went down. On April 8th, someone traded the 105, 205, and 305 for CD Lamb and 404. That's probably a Jamar Chase and somebody in the second round, I don't know who, and somebody in the third round, doesn't really matter. You're probably getting Jamar Chase for CeeDee Lamb, which is worth it at that point. Here's another trade. This one is on April 5th. And the trade was CeeDee Lamb in the 2.12 pick. These are all super flex trades, but pardon me, by the way. So CeeDee Lamb in the 2.12 for DeAndre Swift, the highest ceiling running back in the 2020 draft class that was stacked at running back and 309. I would easily do that trade. Give me DeAndre Swift and his 
fantasy football breaking potential over CD Lamb. And then we go down to the next trade, which is on April 4th. CD Lamb for the 105 and the 108 in a super flex league, you are likely getting Jamar Chase and one of the top five quarterbacks, probably maybe top four quarterbacks even. That sounds really appealing to me. <laughs> like that, that is great. I would absolutely do that trade. So these, these are some ideas of trades that you can make to get rid of your CD Lamb, not because he's bad, because he's overvalued. So now I get it. There's something to be said for, I want to roster good players and that fading CD Lamb for these reasons could be overthinking it. And I understand that line of thinking. I understand how you would just say, you know, I just want good players. Give me the good players. And if that's how you feel, don't sign up for the Patreon because I don't just accept what is considered common knowledge and that CD Lamb is good and therefore you should roster him. We look at value and I tell you based on the value versus points that they're going to score, whether or not you should keep or trade this player. In my opinion, CeeDee Lamb is a sell because of the offense that he's playing in. And that's it. That's the only reason. So if you want to hold him because Amari Cooper's gone next year, or you, or you think they're going to buy him out or cut him or whatever they're going to do, or Michael Gallup's gone or whatever other situational thing that you want to say, I think that's fine. I think that we should buy players that are in poor positions or poor situations. The difference is I want to buy those players when that poor situation is negatively affecting their value, which is not what's happening with CD Lamb. Nobody is considering his situation to be a negative. And it isn't from a floor perspective. He is still going to probably hit a wide receiver two perspective. The issue is wide receiver ones. And if you don't have... A wide receiver one, you don't have anything at the wide receiver position. When you are looking at the point difference between these wide receivers, a top five wide receiver versus a wide receiver two, you're getting 5.03 points per game. The difference between a wide receiver two and a wide receiver five is 5.18 points per game. To go from elite wide receiver to a mid-range wide receiver two is the same as to go from a wide receiver two to a wide receiver five. It is a huge gap. We need to target the guys with the high upside, the elite ceilings. Those are the guys you need to go and target. CD Lamb doesn't have that right now. We're going to talk about Najee Harris tonight, which is one of the most uh, polarizing prospects in this class for me in particular, because I do not think that Najee Harris is a very good prospect. And we're going to lay out the case for why that is. First of all, what I would like to point out is that Najee Harris had the opportunity to declare early in 2020, come out into the NFL at age 22, like a normal running back. And he did not do that. So he is actually going to be a senior and a 23 year old. That's not very good. Last year, he was not in the same class of prospect as players like Jonathan Taylor, JK Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, and Cam Akers. He simply was not. And he was a year older than them. So despite the age and the age advantage he wasn't as good as they were and now people are talking about Najee Harris like he's a better prospect than those guys he's being talked about going in the first round of the NFL draft none of those guys did this is chaos utter chaos so I just have some examples to show you or to explain why I believe that he was not one of the top prospects and I know that he was not one of the top prospects because last year around this time or last year you know, back in January, January 2020, when we weren't sure if he was declaring or not, I was talking about how I can't wait to draft Najee Harris in the early second round because he's big and he catches passes and that's enough for me to be interested. Which is to say, he was definitely not available or he was definitely not getting drafted in the beginning of the first round like the other guys. So here is a, a quick excerpt 
from 247 Sports. It's an article from January 7th, 2020. And here's what they say. What's left the proof of the former five-star prospect? Question mark. According to CBS Sports, Harris is not one of the six best ball carriers who have announced their intention or are expected to leave, coming in well behind notables DeAndre Swift and Travis Etienne. Not one of the six best ball carriers well behind notables DeAndre Swift and Travis Etienne. He was not a top prospect last year. I have another thing here. This, remember I was saying I, I wanted to draft him in the beginning of the second round. Here is a way too early 2020 mock draft by Dynasty Nerds, who put out some excellent content, by the way. 204, Najee Harris running back Alabama. They took him at 204 in the mock draft. That is clearly not in the upper tier of running backs. Running backs go early in drafts because running backs are so rare and so valuable, except for if they're not very good, like Najee Harris. So the reason we're talking about Najee Harris today is because I, I like, pardon me. You've probably noticed we haven't talked about any running backs on the channel so far from the 2020 from the 2021 class. And the reason for that is we were waiting for Graham Barfield's yards created metric, which launched this week at fantasypoints.com. If you are not a subscriber, you should be because Graham crushes it. They put out some of the best content on the planet. He unleashed yards created on us this week. Well, for Najee Harris anyway. (laughs) Yards created is one of the best running back metrics there is. Basically what it does is you calculate the amount of yards or Graham charts, the amount of yards the running back gains after the offensive line has blocked however many yards. So he calculates yards blocked, and then he calculates the running back's yards after that point. It's not a yards after contact, because if you avoid getting tackled, that's probably actually better than just breaking the tackle. So he includes both all yards created after the first potential tackle point. And David Zach, back in 2019, he tested this yards created metric, and he says... After sifting through and getting all his yards created data, I compared it against draft capital, combine metrics, SPSC, college stats, and fantasy points per game, and it won. It was the best metric, the highest correlation. That's a good thing. (laughs) This is something that is very important to the bulletproof prospect process, and now we have it for running back, or for Najee Harris anyway, for the 2021 class. In Graham Barfield's yards created metric, Najee Harris was 27th out of 36 running backs drafted rounds 1 to 3. 27 out of 36. 27 out of 36 drafted rounds 1 to 3. That's wild. That ain't good. The running backs drafted after him, or the running backs that had lower yards created, that created less for themselves, are Cam Akers, Kerryon Johnson, David Montgomery, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, A.J. Dillon, Derrick Henry, Ronald Jones, and Damian Harris. What's interesting about this list is there are two players that scored higher than a long shot in my grading process. They are Cam Akers and they are Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry was a coin flip. Cam Akers was bulletproof. What's really interesting about this is the only other guy that ever hit a top 12 is David Montgomery, who had an absolute hero run to end the year last year and somehow actually squeaked in a top five finish. Complete madness. So on the list, you only really wanted Derrick Henry and Cam Akers. And what's really interesting about the Cam Akers profile is that despite being having the least yards blocked by far, by far the least amount of yards blocked, he had a 45% missed tackle four straight. That's crazy. He made people miss in the backfield standing still at a higher rate than almost anyone in college football that has been tracked for this. So that got drafted in rounds one to three. <laughs> That's crazy. He was eighth in this metric. By contrast, Najee Harris had a 33% missed tackles force per attempt, so well below Cam Akers, and was fifth in yards blocked per attempt. He had 
one of the biggest runways in all of college football, and yet he rarely made defenders miss. I have a hypothesis. I have not tested this. I do not even... We haven't gone down that path yet, but my hypothesis is that if a running back, like, let's back up for a second. Yards created is without a doubt better than yards per carry. Yards per carry is completely useless. It's not even a running running back stat. Yards created is so much better than that. But I still think that it favors running backs with high yards blocked. Because if you have a runway and you're going full speed and you're 230 pounds like Najee Harris and the offensive line is giving you that runway and now you're into the secondary, it should be really easy for you to create yards for yourself because you should be making the secondary miss quite easily. And that is not what happened with Najee Harris. Fifth highest in yards blocked and only 33% missed tackles for race. Missed tackles forced per attempt rate. Not good. Really not good. One of the other telling metrics is NFL.com grade. And this this grade is, is very similar to draft capital, to be perfectly honest. However, despite it being so similar to draft capital, it actually outhits draft capital, which, if you think about it, is crazy. NFL.com grade is like a film grade from Lance Zerline. And like I said, if you think about it, he is telling you who's going to hit before the team even knows who's on their team, before the team even knows which player they're taking the draft to put on their team and give them all the touches. That's wild. He has no control over how much, how many touches he's giving these running backs. The NFL team that selects them does, and he's out hitting them. It's absolutely crazy. The other couple data points we need to talk about or we already did kind of talk about Najee Harris is a senior and age 23 rookie so here's an interesting thing we have been or I have been operating under the assumption that Najee Harris is going to be a first round pick because he has been mocked in the first round consistently all draft season if you go to grinding the mocks he is still a first round pick according to grinding the mocks but Michelle Magzuic I don't know how to say her name at ball blast them Michelle M crushed it with this thread. She says, Peter Schrager said on a PFF interview that he drops his mock draft 1.0 and then people in the know, so industry people, typically reach out to him and telling him more insight on what might be right or wrong about the mock draft. Then he drops 2.0 shortly after and there are some interesting differences. One of those differences is he had Najee Harris going at 18 overall to Miami. He now does not have Najee Harris going in the first round at all. And this changes everything because I'm a data analyst. I don't watch film. I rely on the NFL film scouts to tell me who's good at playing football. I rely on other film scouts to tell me who's good at playing football. Analytics only gets you so far. You need film to help you. Anyways, if the NFL is not going to take Najee Harris in the first round, that means he's not as good as, as a first round pick. He's not, he's not first round pick caliber. So anyway, if he goes in the first round, his grade is going to be coin flip. His grade is actually long shot, but first round picks with a long shot grade actually hit at a coin flip rate. So we bunch them all into coin flip. First round picks that are age 22 or 23 and seniors hit six out of 12 times since 2003. That's a 50% hit rate. That's fine. It's good. It's coin flip, right? Like that's not bad. Those players drafting the first round are Chris Johnson, D'Angelo Williams, Larry Johnson, Joseph Adai, Doug Martin, CJ Spiller, Sony Michelle, Rashad Penny, Cedric Benson, Ronnie Brown, Carnell Williams, and Chris Perry. Not a lot of guys in that list that really like the roster in the long term for Dynasty, other than maybe Chris Johnson and D'Angelo Williams. And Larry Johnson had a couple of signing seasons as well, but a lot of those other guys are pretty hit and miss. But if he doesn't go in the first round, he, like I said, he's going to end up a long shot. And if we look at second and third round picks, again, seniors and tw- age 22 or 23, it is a disaster. <laughs> Quite frankly, it's a complete disaster. We have DeMarco Murray and Carlos Hyde are the only hit. DeMarco Murray had two top five finishes and three top 12 overall. Carlos Side had one top 12, which is kind of amazing. I believe that was the first year that Shanahan arrived in 
San Francisco and just fed Carlos out a bunch of targets he definitely did not earn. And then we have a whole bunch of uh, who's who of guys you never wanted to draft. Kenyon Drake, Charles Sims, Christine Michael, Ben Tate, Monty Ball, J.J. Arrington, Daniel Thomas, Toby Gerhardt, Isaiah Peed, Brian Leonard, and Garrett Wolf. Ain't none of those guys you wanted. Najee Harris is a terrifying prospect. If he doesn't go in the first round, I do not want him on my team. He will be sinking quickly in my rankings on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash bulletproof FF. If you want to check them out, we got a guide coming out soon. This is all going to be covered in the guide. It is just Najee Harris is one of the most interesting prospects is maybe the way to put it because he came back as a senior and he played really well. Like he has all these film scouts believing that he is a fantastic running back, which means he probably did play well. Here's the problem with him being a senior and 23 years old. He is now the most experienced player on the field. He is the oldest player on the field. And when you are playing with that kind of advantage, you should look like one of the best running backs in football. And if you, if you're a fantasy football player, you know that the running back position, it is all about situation. This was one of the best offenses in college football history. He should have dominated like he did. There's nothing wrong with his production this year. If we were only judging him on this year, he would be a very good prospect. Unfortunately, for Najee Harris, we look for consistent excellence and he does not provide that. He didn't do anything his first two years. And then when he came out in his age 21 rookie or in his age 21 college season, he was fine. He wasn't great. He was fine. Travis Etienne was great as an age 21 junior in college. Najee Harris wasn't. Najee Harris does not offer a profile that I will be buying into. And I hope that you don't either.